This morning, we're continuing with our Grace Upon Grace series. This is going to be Appendix 1, and I'm calling it Our Journey Toward Grace Plus Grace. As you recall, the last two Sundays, we did Chapter 2 of this series out of six, and Chapter 2 was called Grace Plus Theologies. Can you change the next slide for me, please? Grace Plus Theologies. And we looked at five approaches to grace that we all take as human beings. Now, starting with the fall of Adam and Eve uh, and their attempt to cover themselves with fig leaves, which represents, of course, uh, in the ancient world, nakedness represents uh, shame. That's why it says before they fell into sin that they were naked without shame. But uh, since the fall of man... Man has tried to, we've tried to cover up our flaws before God and before ourselves and before one another. We try to hide from one another. We try to, we try to look better than we are, <laughs> you know. We try to, uh, you know, uh, e- even in our, in our own country, the, uh, the uh, cosmetic industry is a multi-billion dollar industry which is all about trying to look better than we are. And uh, so, and there, I'm all for grooming and, and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, is that man began to cover himself with fig leaves in his attempt to present himself righteous before God. And God uh, right away gave us grace plus grace by covering them with skin. And, uh, of course, in order to cover them with an animal skin, there had to be the shedding of blood, which was a a foreshadowing of the atonement and Christ, the lamb, being sacrificed for us. And God was the one who provided the skins. God was the one who provided, shed the blood of the the appropriate animal and and provided it, and he did all of the work. Now, they had to uh, receive the grace, And that's where the mystery comes in of grace plus grace theologies. We do have to actively, next part, chapter three of this series is called Attitudes and Actions to Acquire Grace. There's, uh, grace is for free gift, but God has to, by his grace, motivate us to see the advantage of that gift in such a way that we'll seek the gift and we'll unwrap the gift and things of that nature. So it's, it's a little bit of a mystery, but it's always God's grace that initiates, God's grace that sustains, God's grace that motivates, God's grace empowers, God gra- God's grace completes the work. Nothing comes out of grace, and Jesus Christ is the realization of the fullness of grace. All of us are on a journey in our lives because we have started with performance-based theologies or grace plus performance theologies. Uh, we can psychologize that. Some of us have had less than the most affirming uh, relationships with our fathers and, and so forth, so that exacerbates the problem. But the underlying problem is that sin alienates us from God our Father, and we have all these insecurities and and the attempts to justify ourselves, if you, one of the things that I always try to help any person I'm discipling is to get less defensive. You'll never grow if you don't get overcome being defensive because defensive is just a desire to cover yourself instead of letting God change you and cover you. And uh, so uh, what we're going to do today is uh, I've asked uh, four people. I asked Jason to have Jason, Catherine, one of the grace, and... Uh, Edwin, did you, are you having both grace? Okay, so we're going to have five people tell us their journey uh, 
that, you know, one of them may have struggled with number two or number five more. I'm not going to go through them. In the bold print is the name of the, of the approach. Of course, number five is the proper approach. And then after the bold print in italics, in normal print, normal boldness, is maybe a little further definition just to jog our memory. And I thought it would be nice for us to have that up. We're just going to leave that up during the speeches. And I, and, uh, I thought it would be nice for us to refer to this. Uh, for me, I, as you re re recall, I spent uh, considerable time in the first uh, two chapters, which was four messages, uh, just saying that grace, learning to be accepted by grace, grow by grace, understand grace, not fall into grace plus uh, performance has been a journey that I'm still on. And I think we're all still on. And so I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Jason's posse uh, of uh, people about their journey from grace upon grace plus grace and grace upon grace. Amen. Well, I have an honor. I feel honored to be the first one to speak about grace. And let's pray before we begin and set our hearts and ears so that we can hear what the Lord has to say about us and to help us to open our ears to hear better through these testimonies. So, dear Lord, I ask that you would come even right now that you would pour out your spirit in this place, Lord, that you would give us the ears to hear your word. Speak through each and every one of our testimonies to each and every one of us, Lord. Help us to understand and truly realize your grace and help us to help me to speak and say the right words that can truly change the hearts of the people who are listening to this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you know, most of you know that I, I was born in Kenya, and I know, I know, I, uh, it's, 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 it might be a surprise, I didn't go tanning, I did go tanning for a while, and that's why my skin is so dark, so that's, that's no worry. But anyways, uh, in Kenya, this, this idea, when the British came and colonized Kenya, there was, they brought this, most of the people have this debate whether it was, they did good or bad, but I'm not here to argue between that. I'm here to say that they did, some of them say they brought schools and they brought medicine and they helped, they brought the gospel, quote unquote. And I'm here to say that when they brought this gospel to Kenya, they brought this work-based gospel and it really, really corrupted the, uh, it really corrupted the people of Kenya and it still is the main, the big, uh, big factor of why I believe that Kenya is still not where it needs to be in, uh, in their faith. So as when the British came, they, they came and they came and they had, they had this idea that 
if they told him not to, for example, if don't touch this, don't do something wrong, if you don't do this, you're, you're being saved. If you don't drink, if you set your, if you don't act a certain way, you have to behave a certain way to be accepted to God. You have to behave this way. So they had this segregation between the unbelievers and the so-called Christians. So this generation's was, this is what they were taught that my parents, my grandparents, my great-grandparents. So my great-grand, my grandfather always, always went to church. They, they never missed a church meeting. And that was what they taught their kids. And that's what they were taught. So, but they didn't have a relationship with God. They, this is, and they acted a certain way. And if they behaved a certain way, they would be rejected by the community and they would be seen as not a, as Christians, to say. So this is what I was raised with when I was in Kenya. This is what I was raised in. Most uh, my parents, my dad, if, even now, he, he's working through this. It's, it has been really hard for him. He, he has worked through this. He, he has this. He wants to make people seem like he's a good person, in a way. He's a wonderful person, don't get me wrong. I love him to death. He's a, but he's a one of, he's amazing the way he does, but he has a way of not trying to show people how that he's a good person. And that's where he was raised. That's the way his parents taught him. You have to behave a certain way uh, and otherwise you're not a Christian. So this is what I was raised. When I was in Kenya, I was taught to go to church every day and go to school, behave, do. So when I did something bad, I would hide it. I wouldn't get, bring it to light. So if I did bring it to light, I would be rejected. I had this idea that I would be rejected if I brought this, this, this sin because uh, I'm not a Christian otherwise, to say the least. So... So, for example, if you go to Kenya, any Kenyan families, even now, they don't drink. They, when they came, when the people who brought the ministry there, they brought this, they brought the fear of hell. Another thing, they had this idea of, they drilled the idea of hell to them, that if you do this, you're going to hell. But they, so if... You drank, you didn't want to go to hell because you thought it was bad, so you had that fear. And so you had to behave this way, in a certain way. So that's what I grew up with, and it was, I had to realize and work with that, and work slowly when I got here. And when, that's when I, when I came here, I was like, okay, I'm going to church, I'm, I'm typically, I know, I do good things, I don't do bad things so I'm a Christian and that's who that's what my faith was based on and it was very uh, I like to say it was uh, rhythmic, a heretic rhythmic practice and that was very hard to say because there are all those R's rhythmic heretic <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so but the problem is uh, most of them, the sad and the horrible thing is 
they don't they believe this is what is right they don't have another faith another gospel that's what breaks my heart because they they don't have anybody else so as us as who have been called who have been who, who are being told the true gospel we have to be able to go and tell them the group the true gospel because they have been told this gospel that is not true so but they believe they this is like a baby when you tell a baby to do a certain way when a baby when you raise a baby a certain way they they don't know they don't know what what is you're telling them hey don't do this and they believe they accept it they accept it and they think it's right so that's what the the british when they came they told us don't do this and we thought this was the right way but now we're they're starting to have more missionaries. So I encourage any of you who want to be a missionary, when you do become, please don't, when you go, you'll realize it's not, it's not an easy task. You have a parenthood task. Look at it as a parenthood task. Because you're, whatever you say to these people, whatever you're preaching to them, is what they're gonna receive. Cause words do affect people. Words can pierce hearts and then they, they change people. So we have to go and talk the true gospel and the, 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 the faith. We are saved by faith, by grace, through faith. We're saved through grace, by faith. So, and that's what I'm, I'm still working on. It's a progress. And I, I am glad that I, God called me and I'm starting to see the light and I'm walking in this journey to realize that it's by grace that I am saved. Amen. Yesterday, uh, John asked if we wanted to share our testimonies in church, and I thought, oh, that would be cool. So it got me thinking about where the Lord has found me and brought me and brought me to life, and um, I guess I'll share the things that He's impacted on me throughout at least the last like nine years. So I have a really type A personality. And I think maybe that makes me more driven to bring about change myself. Um, but when I was 12, I heard the gospel, totally faith by grace, at a Christian camp. And I heard about God, and I said, oh, yes, I really need that, because I know that I'm living this horrible life, and I need His grace, and I know I can't be good enough to earn it. And I believe at that time I trusted Him for my salvation instead of my own self. And um, I could tell that he was in my life, but I didn't read the Bible. I didn't get discipled. Um, and I don't think that there was much growth. I didn't know him very well. Um, when I graduated from high school, I decided to go to a Bible college because I thought I knew enough about God to know that anywhere where he was and his word was was like 
my dream and exactly where I wanted to be. So I went there for the first year and it was amazing. And the second year, I applied to be a resident assistant. So I was like in charge of a girl's dorm. And I was supposed to like disciple these girls and enforce the rules. And um, I noticed that some more mature Christians didn't have the conflicts that I had with my girls. I felt like I was writing them up all the time. And I, towards the end of the year, had like a lot of anxiety whenever I would go into the dorm because I would see stuff that they did wrong and I would feel like, you know, the consequences, they have to get written up for it. But, you know, the other RAs didn't write their girls up for their stuff and I knew that I was missing something. And um, the woman who was discipling me, Sarah Buber, talked to me about pride and how I have a really horrible pride problem. And I was like, pride? Like, that's a problem? I was thinking you would say, you know, I wasn't like, you know, reading my Bible enough or doing this or doing that. Pride? Like, and I had to learn about what that was. And um, at the end of the year, I left very discouraged and I just didn't understand what it was that I was missing that, you know, these other people understood that caused me to feel so burdened and unable to lead and unable to have good relationships with my girls. They're not my girls, they're God's girls, but whatever, I call them my girls. So um, so then I went to Cedarville University for nursing, and that year we had to read a book called The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And the book starts off kind of walking you through a day where you do everything right. You wake up early, you have your quiet time, you go out with people and you're kind and you serve people, whatever. And then the next day you hit your snooze button a lot and then you're late for work so you're stressed and you snap at people all day and it's just one of those like horrible days. And at the end of those stories, um, Jerry Bridges asks, poses the question to the reader, like, on which day were you more justified? And I was like, and he was like, neither day, because you're not justified by your works. You're justified by Christ, by the Lord, by grace. And I know that's like a really basic idea, but it really got to the core of my thinking. You know, I really, I really thought that, you know, even maybe subconscious, I believe that my actions would gain me favor with God in some small way. Like if you asked me, I would have told you like, oh, the only way that I can be with the Lord is through his grace. But on a daily basis, I kind of acted like I believed another thing and I felt guilty and I felt like hiding from God and I didn't want to talk to him when I felt like I wasn't performing a certain way. And that book really like opened my eyes to start thinking a different way. Um, I felt very oppressed all the time, very much like I couldn't talk to God, um, like I wasn't good enough. And it you know, obviously impacted my relationships with other people and my relationship with him. So I went to the Shane and Shane concert as well. And there's a song called Embracing Accusation. Some of you might know it, but um, it talks about, you know, the weight of sin that we carry. And at the end, um, the, the bridge says, you know, the devil's singing over me an age-old song that I am cursed and gone astray, which I understood. But he's singing the first verse so conveniently, but he's forgotten the refrain. Jesus saves. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it was so awesome. Um, and then also that year, I was reading in the Bible the book of Hebrews, which is really clear on how the law kills, and there's nothing that it could do to save you. All the law does, all these rules do, is show you how much you need 
God to save you apart from your works because you can't perform. There's no way you could enough. And those three things really just changed my life that year. And I thought I really started to understand what the Lord had done for me on the cross and that um, it wasn't about performance at all. And the next year I learned more. I read What's So Amazing About Grace by Philip Yancey. Actually, Kathy and I were in a small group together that year going through that book. And it just really solidified things. And I find I don't know if it's because of my personality type or because I lack faith, but I think like Edwin said, that's something that I have continued to have to check my thoughts about year after year. Sometimes I totally embrace the grace of God and I talk to him all the time and I'm gracious with other people. And then there are times where I get into that wrong thinking again and I'm not believing the gospel and I'm thinking, oh, I have to hide from him. I'm not good enough. You know, I can't embrace that talking with him. And right now he's just doing so much to show me, like, just basically about grace. And um, it's so good. Um, Nicole Nordman's, I feel bad that I'm quoting all these songs and I'm not, like, sharing scripture, but you just have to read the whole book of Hebrews. Basically, just read the whole Bible. But um, <laughs> but she, like, a course of, um, of one of her songs says, you know, we raise the standard and we try to keep it and we'll never make it, but we don't need to. And that's really cool also, like, just different things that he's impressed on me that show me, like, oh, like, he saved me by his grace. There's nothing I could do. And now I can talk to him because even when I fail, and it's like all the time, he is sanctifying me and he is showing me that he loves me and he wants me to walk with him. But the only way I can do that is by accepting his grace and not, you know, trying to do it on my own and trying to push things my way. And it never works out that way anyway. But the only way for us to live in community and and is to show grace to other people and we can't do that and we can't forgive and walk in freedom unless we've accepted that in our own lives and um, I'm so glad that we have a God who's not only gracious but totally faithful and cares about us that he'll pursue us with love he'll pursue us with that knowledge of grace and he'll invite us to walk with him and that's 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 it that's all Good morning. Good morning. Um, thanks, Leah. Um, the gospel tells us in brief that um, God's, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and he spoke, and he spoke life into existence. When he created man, he breathed his uh, spiritual breath, and we became living beings. And then it says we were separated from God, and he breathed life back into us, spiritual life again, um, bringing us back from being dead spiritually. And I can think of three striking times in my life that God breathed his living words into me, and it changed my life. Um, 
the first was when I was nine years old. Um, my parents uh, took me to church as a boy, and I don't remember anything that I heard or learned in church, um, except for maybe a couple of uh, flannel graph pictures, for those of you who are old enough for flannel graphs. Um, but I do remember, when I was nine years old, I came home from church one day, and I can't remember the words that the pastor, the Sunday school speaker said, but I remember the words of the Spirit of God speaking to my soul because I was so um, convicted of like sin and so moved, and I sensed his, his call drawing me. I, I went to our bathroom, and I, I pulled the bathroom door shut kind of over me, and I remember just like, hiding behind the bathroom door for like a half hour because I was so overcome. And my brother walked around behind the door and he was trying to kind of pull the door open. He's like, John, are you okay? John, like, like, what's wrong? And nothing happened to warrant me like just crying for like a half an hour. And finally, I got the words out. And I'm like, Jesus forgave me of my sins. And my brother was like, oh. <laughs> like, he basically said, like, I, okay, so nothing's wrong then? <laughs> Nothing was wrong. Um, even as, like, a nine-year-old boy, like, I, God spoke those, um, those silent words, those words that are not words, his breath into my soul, and he called me, and, and I heard him, and he brought me to life. Never since then, he's been speaking to me, and I've been able to hear it better and better. Um... Fast forward about 10 years, I was going to a school out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska, and as John will probably tell you, um, he doesn't like the cold around here. Well, it's colder up there, and I'd never seen like that, the deep winters that set in there for, for five months. It's below zero. And, uh, <laughs> and so this was a new experience for me, because I had, I had grown up in a warmer place of the state. And, well, anyway, so... It was during one of these long, dark, deep winters when so many people just drink and drink and there's a lot of suicide and, and a lot of depression and stuff. Um, and, and I was going through a time where I was, I was pretty, pretty depressed, dealing with you know, clinical depression. And, um, and one, of our, one of our teachers had this idea that we needed to learn about grace. And so that didn't mean tons to me. Um, but we worked through the assignments. One of the assignments was to read a book by Philip Yancey that Leah mentioned called What's So Amazing About Grace? You all know the song, the hymn Amazing Grace. Um, so I was reading this book deep in the dead of winter, and I was dealing with lots of insecurity and depression, and, and I got about halfway through it, and um, the, the author was describing the parable of the prodigal son coming home and his father welcoming him um, with open arms, like humiliating himself to welcome his son. And our chapel speaker that week had just talked about that, and he had brought in a big painting of an artist's um, rendition of the prodigal son being embraced by his father. And, and it all kind of came together, and the Holy Spirit brought those, the, the chapel topics, the, the painting I'd been looking at all week, the, uh, the, um, the book I was reading, and, and, and he brought all those thoughts together and images together in my mind, and he spoke to me silently without words or pictures. 
and I just, I just lost it. And I was sitting all alone on this couch reading this book in the dead of winter and dealing with all this stuff. It's so much shame and, and, and I just kind of like confessed all the sins I could possibly think of and just cursing and, and kind of writhing in my, in my sins verbally and, and just like vomited all the, all the mess inside of me out uh, before God. And you know how like sometimes you cry and you, know, you have a little tear. Sometimes you cry and it just kind of keeps rolling off both cheeks. And sometimes you cry so hard that like your nose is running. And sometimes you cry so hard that you're, 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 cry, you're tearing and your nose is running and you don't even care. And you just, you don't even like wipe anything off. You just, you just let it flow. And it was one of those times. Um, and in that wordless, intangible way, God so powerfully um, told me that he loved me. And that was this deep longing, aching need, you know, my heart was kind of raw and wanting so badly for God to love me and I could never feel it um, pretty much at all until that day. And it was the most wonderful thing. And for the first time, I, I really understood that God loves me and I felt it. And it was, I felt it in my spirit and I just worshiped him. It was the best, it was the best. Fast forward about another five years. Um, I was just moved to Ohio and was going to Cedarville. And I don't remember who gave me the idea or if I just uh, got this idea out of scripture. But I started, the, the Holy Spirit uh, kind of moved me to start praying this prayer. You know, God, um, please convict me of my sins. And... Please, please help me understand, like, you know, how bad my sin is, because I actually feel like a pretty good guy. And, you know, I read the Bible and it says I'm, like, horribly wretched. And, and I, I, I realized I didn't, I didn't really believe that. Um, so, so I started praying for about the last five years now. I've been praying that the Lord would help me to understand my sin. And, um, and I, I now see that that prayer, that's the prayer I pray most often, help me to understand my sin and just confessing everything I can think of, I now see that God was ministering his grace to me in leading me to pray that prayer. Because if I thought I was, you know, just what almost every American, well, I, I don't know, a lot of Americans think, like I'm a pretty good guy, that, or lady, you know, that it's a very common belief. We mostly think that way. Um, if I still believe that, I would never be like, the prodigal son, um, and I would never be able to feel God's arms embracing me because I wouldn't think I needed it. Um, so now the prayer that I pray most often, ironically, is God, you know, show me my sin, can you know, please point out anything in me that offends you, so that I can confess it and renounce it. And I'm always renouncing the same things. It seems kind of hypocritical. Um, but that seemingly puritanic, self-condemning prayer that the Holy Spirit is calling me to pray over and over, pretty much every day, um, is, is actually a prayer of, it, it's him reaching out to me in grace and him um, showing me the depths of how much he loves me. And, and I feel it. 
That's something for so long I cried out for. And um, the Holy Spirit is still speaking life. He's still hovering over the earth, like in Genesis 1 when he was hovering over the waters, speaking life in, into the earth. He's, he's still calling us. And his words go out into all the world. And if you pray this prayer, Lord, um, help me to see my sin and, and confessing those, um, confessing that sinfulness, you'll be able to, that's the, the bridge to feeling God love you. I'm very postmodern. I got to feel it or else it doesn't mean anything, right? Um, so I would encourage you guys to regularly pray that prayer. There's no other way to be embraced by the Father than to start with that prayer. Praise the Lord. Thank you. All right, for time's sake, I'm going to be really brief. Um, and plus, a lot of people know, here know my testimony in particular. A lot of you know how I grew up and have met my family members and kind of know my background. Um, but for me, grace has really kind of had a twofold um, eye-opening um, experience in terms of how, not only how I relate to God with grace, but also how I relate to others with grace. And those two things are intertwined um, and also are very, very important. And um, especially um, as you get to know me, kind of can see how that's really impactful for me. Um, a lot of you know that I was raised uh, in, as a Catholic, and as many of you might know, or may or may not know, anyways, that being Catholic, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of rules. Um, there's a lot of things that you kind of have to do. Um, I would say Catholics uh, fall along the point number three here: grace plus works. Um, both of those things are what you need to do to be accepted by God, um, by most Catholic teaching, and. So, having grown up in that kind of atmosphere, along with the fact I was a very competitive, uh, very, very competitive child, um, where, you know, I wanted to be the top student, so I got a lot of straight A's um, from pretty much most of my academic career through high school, um, very competitive in my athletics, um, very competitive in terms of if we played games, cards, board games, whatever, you name it. I wanted to win all the time, always wanted to win, and did not really care how I acted, how I interacted with the people that I was with. Um, I, that was just my goal. I really wanted to have that glory and have that thing to kind of hang over everybody's head. And so the thing about Catholicism, about this grace plus works um, in particular that I want to touch on is that when I would... You know, when we confessed our sins once a semester, uh, we had what was called reconciliation or the act of penance um, that was mandated. Uh, we all got taken to the church and we all waited. We spent a good three hours of our day waiting for your class to get through and talk to uh, the priest and so forth. And you're just sitting there like, okay, what am I going to say? What am I going to say to the priest? I got to come up with like a decent sin that sounds like I'm really serious, but at the same time, I can't like divulge too much because I don't want to sound like I'm just the most terrible kid and get kicked out of school. Um, you know, this hellion. So I, you know, I had to come up with something that was like, what am I going to say? And you hated being the first person. 
because you're like, man, I don't have enough time to think. But you didn't want to be the last person because you're sitting there like freaking out more and more and more in the pew. You're like, oh my gosh, when is it my turn? Because someone's going to tap me on my shoulder and say, oh, it's your turn to go. And it's like, oh gosh, you get the anxiety of that. But then the thing about it was not so much that, but it was when the time came after you spoke with the priest and you had penance, oftentimes the penance for our sins were to like say the rosary three times or say this many Hail Marys and Our Fathers. And it's like, that doesn't really make sense that my forgiveness is based on my many words that I'm speaking to God to prove how sorry I am. And that didn't really kind of resonate and make sense to me until later. But I'm not saying like the great thing about confessing your sins, restitution is a great thing. And if you sin against somebody in a place where you need to make restitution, you should do that. But if you think that you're going to be forgiven by your many words and that that's somehow going to equate to being good enough for God, um, that's sadly mistaken. And the problem is with this grace plus works theology um, is that it creates an, an hierarchy of sin. What it does is that you start to saying, well, my works that I do, if I do these things, if I serve the poor by going to a food kitchen or if I do this, that thing or another, then I'm a bit better person than so-and-so that's doing, maybe not doing that. Or if my sins are not this, 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 and this bad going deeper and deeper and deeper, then I'm better off than the person whose sins are really, really far down. And you start to have a pecking order of who is holy and you get self-righteous. I was a very self-righteous person because I grew up, I really didn't do a lot of what people would consider bad things growing up. I didn't, I've never done drugs. Um, I didn't have sex before I was married. I didn't do those things that a lot of people would consider as bad things. Never vandalized. I never wrote spray painted curse words or whatever, misspelled or whatever. I didn't do any of that. Never vandalized like this poor, poor soul over here. Um, Doom for all eternity. So, you know, and, you know, things like that. I, I, that wasn't me. I kept, you know, my nose clean, so to speak. I was a goody two-shoes. Um, but the problem with this is that it focuses too much on the leaves of the tree and not on the root. And what really was my issue, I was an incredibly proud person. I was an incredibly self-righteous individual. Um, and... I was living for my own glory, not for the glory of God. The things that I was doing, getting straight A's, um, trying to excel in the things that I did, those are not necessarily bad things, but it's the matter of what you're doing them. And for me, I was doing them all for the wrong reasons. And when you do it for the wrong reasons, when you're doing it for your own glory, to hear your name lifted high, um, above all others, you get a fleeting sense of joy. It's very devoid and lacking. And I wasn't a very joyous person. I was a very, very, you know, angry, bitter, um, you know, depressed kid. And so one of the things that helped change my perspective, um, it's amazing. I'm sure everyone's had this experience, and you can tell me later if you have, where you're reading a scripture that you've read before or heard before, spoken from the pulpit or something like that, and you know it, but then God's like, no, I mean this for you. And he highlights it for you. And you almost sometimes don't even want to admit it <laughs> because sometimes you're like, I feel a little shame and guilt. Like, why didn't I know this sooner or whatever? I failed, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, a lot of shame and condemnation.
But Matthew 7, uh, verses 21 through 23, really hit me one day. I don't even know exactly when or where, but I remember reading this and thinking, oh my God, this is speaking to me, and how terrifying this thought was. In Matthew 7, 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And for me, that really hit hard because I realized I didn't really know God. I didn't, God didn't really know me in the sense that I didn't have a relationship. I was doing all these things to do the right thing. And I was, you know, doing all these things to look like I was a holy person. And so, and it was completely lacking and empty. And when I came to that realization, that was a very life-changing verse for me. Um, so, I, with the grace of God, it, I've, I've, I have, uh, grown in this area a, a bit. Um, I have a lot to go in terms of not evaluating myself on how well that I'm doing things in terms of serving the church or whatever it may be. Um, you know, how well I'm doing in my classes at, at Wright State, how am I doing at work? That's an ongoing thing that I have to check. Um, but secondly, I want to make this really, really brief, um, is that God also is really working with me in terms of grace, in terms of relating with other people. In the sense of understanding that no matter when I get offended or when I feel like someone has either slighted myself or my wife in particular, um, you know, that, that, that anger uh, wants to come back, um, that, that fleshly wanting to lash back, um, is, it, it, always, it always arises. Um, and you, I think anybody who has dealt with anger um, would be kidding themselves to think that, that you know they completely conquered it in the sense of that it's all you know you're perfectly like un, you know that doesn't happen anymore in your life. Yeah, we, it happens in our flesh. It definitely rises up from time to time. Um, but I've made a commitment to um, to God, and I made a commitment to my wife in particular that any time that that rises up with me in me that I go to God and then I go to my wife and let her know that this is what's going on right now and I'm really struggling with this um, and I'm not trying to like, you know, just, I'm not trying to like badmouth people or talk poorly about people or anything like that. I'm just trying to let her recognize and help me in that moment to calm myself and to be of the spirit and not to be of my flesh. And it's something that's just really helpful for me, because um, oftentimes there are times when, you know, just feel like really, you know, the, the world around us, they don't understand what, you know, what the Bible is preaching to us. And we need to have grace to those individuals, because they don't, they don't know. And Jesus in the gospel oftentimes relates to um, sinners in a very, very gracious way. And to me, that is a great example, is how the people that are supposedly against us, Jesus was actually very um, gentle with and correcting and was very generous with. So, um, in, in the sense of like John 8 with the woman caught in adultery and um, how Jesus reacted with Zacchaeus and so forth. Um, those are just some of the examples. So, I just uh, want to encourage everybody that to 
it is okay to have a strategy. I mean, sometimes we think that with this idea of grace and works that we can't do anything necessarily. We can have a strategy to help us um, to be in the position to receive that grace, um, to be in a position to actually accept it. Um, because if we just let our flesh run rampant, then you know we're not going to, our spirit's not going to take that. We're not going to be able to receive that grace from God. So have a strategy if you know there's certain things and with relating to others that you need to, you know, check yourself and make sure you have the spirit and not of your flesh. So pass on to.